0: ar-Rahim. This is the fifth session in Sirah. Where are we in Sirah? Um. Hmm? Okay. Uh, we haven't started that, have we? Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Obviously, the Prophet sallallahu wa encouraged his companions with the intense persecution to make their way to Abyssinia. And there were various strategic reasons for going to Abyssinia. The very one that that we normally repeat all the time is, in Abyssinia there was a just king who established justice in his kingdom and he didn't do injustice to anyone and all of these things. But strategically speaking as well, Abyssinia was an established kingdom unlike many Arab tribes that were scattered all over Arabia. In a society with the authority belongs to the tribe, then everyone is equal. And of all the Arab tribes, Quraysh was the most prominent and pe- pretty much the most powerful. Because of their status, because of their, them being the custodians of the house of God. So Quraysh wouldn't have respected any other tribe, or other tribes would have kind of submitted in the end to Quraysh, because they have interests with them. Remember, Anyone who has interest with, with Quraysh wouldn't have any reason not to hand over the Prophet ﷺ and the companions back to Quraysh if they ever claim it. The only one who was strong enough that he can say to Quraysh, no. That's a king. The Negus in Abyssinia. Who was deputy many years before decided hmm? whose deputy many years before decided to invade the Kaaba and destroy it. So he had no respect for Quraysh. Abraha was like a, one of those strong Christians like Trump. <laughs> That's the Abraha of of, 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 to, of, of, of today, you know. <laughs> so Abraha wanted to destroy the Kaaba. That's not my statement, by the way. <laughs> one of the, in, the in Mecca <laughs> said that he said, Trump is the Abraha of today. <laughs> So Abrah had no, re- didn't respect Quraysh at all, he just wanted to destroy their house. And he knew that he's facing and opposing all of these Arab tribes, but he didn't care. So the first and the second migration to Abyssinia, the Prophet ﷺ, encouraged the Sahaba to migrate to Abyssinia. How many people migrated to Abyssinia? About 83 men and women. 83 or 85 men and women. Of them, there were only five women, married. And the rest were singles. And Quraysh didn't take that lightly. Now they know that the Muslim community is safe from persecution. So they sent after them Amr ibn al-As, and Suhail ibn, uh, Amr ibn al-As, and Imara uh, ibn, ibn al-Walid. They sent both of them after, the, after Muslims to try to negotiate with uh, al-Najashi and bring these people back. And we have to pause a bit to think about the language that Muslims spoke to al-Najashi when they were invited to uh, challenge Amr ibn al-As and his other friend and disprove them. Because this is an important language that we Muslims, specifically Muslims living in the West, we need to adopt in our discourse with non-Muslims and even with authorities here. When Muslims were invited by a najashi to speak or to present their case, they spoke about universal themes. They didn't speak about religious injunctions. They spoke about universal themes. And they highlighted the ugliness and the diseases of Jahiliyyah. So Ja'far and also the choice of an individual to speak in the name of them. You know, one of the biggest problems of Muslims today is representation. Who represents the Muslim community if there is an issue? With multiplicity of representation and ill will on the side of some people in certain places, they would go for a view that is completely off track in order to establish a specific agenda on Muslims. For example, if they find, of, or if, if, if it is the intention of some authorities, to ban hijab, for example. <laughs> they will look for one person within the Muslim community who says, oh, hijab is not a far, even if that's an odd thing. And then we'll say, they will say, huh, here you go. There is a Muslim authority. And they will spare no terms of, of uh, glorification for that person. They will say, an expert in, on Islam, expert in Muslim affairs, authority in this, authority in that, and promoting that individual to become the representative of the Muslim community. While the silent majority will be left aside and they will be neglected and they will have at the end of the day to submit or start fighting the laws after the laws have been established. So Muslims have to be very smart. We have to solve the problem of representation. Muslims who faced the najashi they chose Ja'far. They were decided. Let Ja'far speak. Ja'far is known to be a man who is similar to the Prophet ﷺ in his character and his features. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ashbahta khalqi wa khuluqi. You're similar to me in features and in character. So he is someone who is good and well established to represent the deen and to represent the Prophet ﷺ. The language of Ja'far, as we said, was a universal language. He didn't speak about The details of Islam, what did he speak about is that in Jahiliyyah, they were people who ate dead animals. They were people who cut the relations of families, family relations. They were people who buried children alive. They were people who worshipped stones. He didn't say worshipped idols. They worshipped stones. And even though a Najashi might, for the sake of politics, not criticize idolatry but he himself is not an idolater <laughs> he is a christian so he has a, he has a belief in god so sometimes people might not criticize idolatry but deep down their hearts they might say well it's your choice but deep down them they might they disagree with it so jafar of chose these essentials which were very important to highlight the ugliness of jahiliyyah. and then when he spoke about the Prophet, وسلم, he introduced the Prophet before he introduced the message. So he said a man who's well established among us. He comes from good family. He's not someone who's looking for fame or position or leadership. He is already he already has this. And he is a person whom we trust the dean of, we trust the, his his dignity, we trust his uh, his truthfulness. He came and he told us to do this and this and that. So it is very important that we go back to the texts, and see what Ja'far exactly said, and try to analyze it within this night. While people were in, uh, even, even and an this language of Ja'far has forced Amr ibn al-As to finally try to say that these people have a different view of Jesus. It's a view different from yours. And, and Najashi, uh, when he wanted to clarify this with Ja'far, Ja'far radiyallahu ta'ala an, did not speak of his own, he didn't present Islam on his own he chose a text he said we say what Allah says and he chose a text, now in certain situations in certain controversial issues quoting a text is better than paraphrasing the text, because when you paraphrase the text you, you're not sure exactly how will it come across, sometimes you want to say something and because you you have you fail to choose the right wording, you cause damage. Mm-hmm. If you were to just quote the text as it is, but there are also there is, a, there is a danger there, which is choosing which text. So Jafar chose a text from Surat Maryam that speaks about the birth of Isa alayhi and Surat Maryam is known to be a non-confrontational surah. If you go back to Surat Maryam today and read these ayat, it's a non-confrontational surah. In interfaith dialogues, where the issue of the crucifixion of Isa is not to be touched, and the issue of the Isa being the son of God is not to be touched, the best quotation would be Surah Maryam, not Surah Al-Ma'idah. Why Surah Al-Ma'idah is a confrontational surah, a surah that keeps repeating every... Few verses. لقد كفر لقد كفر these who those who say such and such are disbelievers. Those who say such and such are disbelievers, and they tried this, and they and they disobeyed uh, their prophets, and they did this. The ends of Surah Al-Nisa as well, which precedes Surah Al-Ma'idah, is also very confrontational. <laughs> because they didn't keep their covenant. <laughs> like we we cursed them. Like this very strong language. It's very strong language. Obviously, when the Qur'an speaks, we're not denying what the Qur'an is saying. But what we're talking about is choosing the right language in certain situations. The Prophet ﷺ, with some Christian leaders who came to him, he asked them to for something called mubahala, invoking the curse of Allah upon the one who is not saying the truth. But with another group, of Christian leaders, he allowed them to pray in his masjid, and he was very soft with them. It is the character of the person who is in front of you, and a wise individual is someone who uses that his language very well. Why? Because minds and hearts become prepared for receiving certain language at certain stages in your life. It requires certain level of iman and understanding to receive something. If you don't have that, you will be completely, you will completely deny it you'll completely reject it. Hmm. So, Quraysh tried their best and they failed. Following that, Umar ibn al-Khattab, anhu, accepted Islam. And the story of the Islam of Umar, anhu, is known. He decided one day to kill the Prophet, وسلم, to finish all the trouble and the confusion that was in Quraysh. And because none of that, uh, he, he decided to make his way and kill the Prophet. On his way, he met someone who said to him, You want to kill Muhammad? Go and sort out your family first. Your sister and your husband are both Muslims. And that has led him to read the Quran and accept Islam. The acceptance of Islam of Umar, encouraged some Muslims to come back. Now there is Umar and Hamza, so there is some form of strength back in, in Mecca. So some Muslims came back, but not all of them. Many Muslims remained in Abyssinia even after the Prophet moved it to Medina as a kind of a Plan B. So they stayed in Makkah, in, in in Abyssinia, and Ja'far himself came back on the seventh year after the Hijra. So seven years down the line after the Hijra, Ja'far came. That was after Fath Khaybar, after the conquest of Khaybar. Quraysh tried another. Uh, uh, tool of, 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 of uh, challenging the da'wah. We mentioned before, like the five stages of challenging the da'wah. We said one of them was negotiation, one of them was uh, boycotting. So the boycott was uh, another tool which Quraysh used to stop the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam or to literally force Banu Hashim. Because Quraysh realized that the strength of the Prophet Sallallahu comes from the fact that he has Banu Hashim around him. He has his tribe. In a tribalistic society, you take your power mainly from, from your tribe. The bigger your tribe is, the more powerful, financially strong, respected people cannot touch you. They would be afraid of your tribe. They would be afraid of your extended tribe. The Quran tells us that the people of Salih, uh, the people of Shuaib Alaihi salam, They wanted to kill him, but they said, uh, were it not for your tribe, we would have stoned you. So they were afraid of his tribe. So Quraysh knew that let's force Banu Hashim then. If we punish the whole tribe, they might decide, no worry if we sacrifice one individual for the safety of the whole tribe. And it was known in very rare cases though, that some tribes had to disown some of the thieves and gangsters and people who go outside the tribe and cause so much damage. So they boycotted the whole tribe of Banu Hashim. Boycotted them, they decided no marriage, no intermarriage, no trade, no food, nothing. And they kept them in their valley, the valley of Banu Hashim. They appointed guards on both openings of the valley. So no one comes in and no one leaves. These people remained in this for three years. Three years of boycott. That's like a very long time. Like all the sto- stored food, all the, the, the milk, the camels, the sheep would have been slaughtered and eaten. Nothing is remaining. But all of that didn't, didn't force Banu Hashim to hand over the Prophet wasallam. They protected the Prophet wasallam. Muslims are non Muslims. Muslims and Non Muslims, until we know that the famous story that the Prophet, Allah revealed to him that this agreement that Quraysh has written, the text of the boycott, has been eaten by a worm, and he sent Abu Talib to tell Quraysh about that, and that was the termination of, of this. There was a second migration. There was a second migration. The second migration was another group of people who went back to Habasha, because we said that some. Muslims came back from Abyssinia after the Umar accepted Islam. But when they realized that the situation is the same, it hasn't changed much, they went back. We spoke about Jafar and how he spoke with the Najashi and the language that he used. And we mentioned that this has remained with the Negus. It has remained with the king for many years. This conversation that he had with Jafar that later on the only king that the only big monarch that has accepted islam and the message of the prophet sallallahu was the negus accepted islam and he acted on behalf of the prophet sallallahu alaihi was as, as a, uh, in in, uh, in 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 proposing to umm habiba bint abi sufyan radiyallahu ta'ala anha to uh, marry the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam quraish also tried other possible ways so they spread news about the prophet that he has got some mental problem and there was this volunteer a man who used to do some form of ruqya, healing his name is Al Azdi, and people of the desert especially those like who live in small groups and small tribes uh, scattered all over arabia they had some of them like they had certain odd jobs that they would do some of them were like healers some of them used to recite, some of them like used to read fortune, these like fortune tellers. They had too much time in their hands. Arabs in those days, they had too much time in their hands. That's why they were fighting with each other. All the time, fighting and writing, uh, not, uh, reciting poetry and doing loads of things. And they were, not, they were not bothered about writing their own history. They were just like turning it into poetry. So this man, al Azdi, he volunteered, he thought that he's a healer. So he volunteered to come to Mecca and heal the Prophet. ﷺ. So he came and he had a conversation with the Prophet. ﷺ and he said, I have heard that you, uh, you see something, so uh, let me recite on you. And the Prophet so that this is a good opportunity to speak to this man. So he said, Okay, I listen to you, but you listen to me. After I listen to you, you also listen to me. Because sometimes you deal with a person and then you don't realize that what they say is the full sanity, is the full manifestation of sanity. This person is sane. So he recited something on the Prophet, and then the Prophet said, I have heard you, now you hear me. And he recited Quran to him. And the was taken, was blown away by, the, by what he heard. So he said, by Allah, what you say is better than what I say. And he accepted Islam right away. So he, he came as a healer and he went back healed. <laughs> he went back to... To his people, uh, the Prophet said to, uh, to, to the Sahaba, If you ever meet any of the tribe of Azd, the people of Dimad, don't take anything from them out of respect and love for Dimad. And the Azd, like it's a big, big tribe. The mother of a Sayyidina Imam Shafi'i, the mother of Sayyidina Imam Shafi'i, Fatima, her name is Fatima, Fatima from Azd, from the tribe of Azd. So Azd is a big tribe, they say Batnun, Batnun Kabir, it's like one, one of the huge tribes in, in Arabia. And uh, they have like sub-tribes, as Shanu'a, as Da'ilan, as this, as that. Even till today, there are in some, uh, some Arab countries like Iraq, there are people who can trace their lineage back to the Azd. So the Prophet ﷺ said, if the people of Dumad don't take anything from them, don't invade them, don't cause them any damage. And they, they accepted Islam in big numbers afterwards. In this time as well, conversations between after, the, after the, the boycott has ended, the Prophet ﷺ had some conversations with, with Quraysh. One of these is that they, they requested the Prophet ﷺ to show them some miracles. So they said to him, child, split them all for us. You know, when someone is lost in words and in reasoning, they will just ask you for something that is to them, that's impossible. But analysing the denying mentality and the refusing mentality shows us that if someone is not willing to listen to you, they will not listen to you. Regardless of what you, what you show to them. If they are not willing to listen, they will not listen. They say in Arabic poetry, وَقَدْ لَا تَعْدِمُ الْحَسْنَاءُ ذَامًّا Like a beautiful person, a beautiful woman, will always find someone who dispraises her. <laughs> Meaning even in even with beauty, there will be someone to dispraise you. You can't imagine that, mashaAllah, this is beauty, so everyone would be praising. No, there will be someone who dispraises you. The most perfect individual will find someone who envies them and who will how come? Like, they are not this is not strange. This is not amazing. These individuals who are criticizing and in denial all the time. So when they asked the Prophet to split the moon for them, and he did, they said, as the Quran goes, they said, "This is he just done some magic on our eyes." So he said to them, "Ask then the, the the caravans that came from outside Mecca." So they asked them on this such and such day, "Did you witness something strange?" And they said, "Yes, we saw the moon split." so they said, his magic must have gone beyond the market. it's a point of am I willing to listen or not when you have a discussion with someone, in fiqh aqeedah, in anything, this is an essential thing, we spoke about munadhara we spoke about mujadala, uh, the debate and the mujadala which is disputation, and once your conversation moves into a disputation, you have to quit quit, leave it because there is no point of going ahead with it. Unless the person is willing to listen and appreciate what you're going to say, there is no point. If someone is not willing to listen, you can't fill a cup that is already full. And you can't fill an individual who thinks that he knows everything. You can't get, teach him anything. He, he, he thinks that he knows everything. So can, how, wh- What else is he going to learn? So splitting the moon, Quraysh asking the strangers, then Quraysh moved to another form of challenging the Prophet ﷺ. One of that was, let's go and question and get some questions from people of the book. And since Quraysh and uh, idol worshippers in in general, Mecca, Meccans in general, they respected the Jews. They paid a lot of respect and, and appreciation to the Jewish tribes of Arabia because they saw them as very well established in tradition. And uh, the Jews used always intellectually challenge Quraysh. Quraysh were very, very simple people. So they went to the Jews and they said to them, you are the people of the early book. So can you tell us something that you can ask this man? And they asked him about the soul. They asked him about the people of the cave. The three questions that are answered in Surah Al-Kahf. It was during this period. This period was full of interchange between them and the Prophet Sallallahu And in this period as well, a delegation heard about the Prophet from the area of Najran. And Najran, which is today in the south of uh, what is known as Saudia, and in the north of Yemen, this area of Najran, they were known to be staunch Christians. So some of their leaders came to the Prophet had a conversation with him, and they accepted Islam right away. And the Prophet ﷺ advised them to leave quickly before Quraysh finds out about them and try to persecute them. So they left, and Quraysh knew of them, and they started criticizing them. They couldn't catch them, they started criticizing them. Because of all of this, <coughs> the Prophet ﷺ, because Quraysh put the Prophet ﷺ in, the boycott and his people, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi asked Allah to make them taste some of the starvation that they have inflicted upon Muslims, and they didn't have rain for a whole year. For a whole year, so they kind of had a taste of the famine that they put on the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The tenth year before uh, or after the Ba'athah, and at the age of fifty, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam lost his two essential supporters, his wife, Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, and his uncle Abu Talib. And as we know that uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam losing these two essential individuals has caused him a lot of stress because that's an internal support, and external support to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that year, the tenth year after the Hijra, is what we call Amul الحزن, the year of sadness. Check this event of uh, Hijra. Yes. Was it almost almost immediately after the death of Khadija? No, two years later. Two years later. Yes. Yeah, the death of Asida Khadija yes. was on the tenth year after the Hijra. What time do we finish the Sirat? At 255. Okay, two fifty-five. Uh, uh, yeah, Islam? jinn accepting Islam. Yes, we missed that. So, amongst the things that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala honoured His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi with during that period is the Prophet wa sallam, We know that he used to go to valleys and pray Fajr there, valleys distant from Makkah, so that Quraysh will not attack the community that he is leading. So the jinn passing by, they heard the Qur'an being recited. And ever since the time of Moses, they have not listened to any kind of scripture. Because the mission of Isa was was a brief one. Isa was on earth for a very brief period of time. So listening to uh, some of what the Prophet was reciting, they went back to their people and they said, we heard... A book being recited and they communicated with the Prophet وسلم, that they wanted to learn about Islam, and the Prophet وسلم, went to meet them in one of the valleys. He met some of the leaders of Jinn and he introduced Islam to them and they accepted Islam. Uh, that's why this is one of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distinguished our Prophet with that he is sent to men and Jinn and Jinn together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Arab, Arabs knew of jinn. It was not something strange to them. Yes, bear in mind that Arabs were not completely deprived of a religion. The essential thing about Arabs is that they started associating others with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But, but they had hajj, they, they had the, the remains of the religion of Abraham, but they added loads of things to it. Yeah, possibly. Is yeah. so that what is mentioned in the Surah Jinn now? In Surah the... Jinn, yes, and in Surah Al-Ahaqaf as well. No, when they say they heard the Quran, is that... Yes, the... in Surah Al-Ahaqaf it's, la- it's la- even more clearer. Inna sami'na Qur'an an'ajaba. We heard the Qur'an amazing Qur'an y'ahdi ila al-rushd. Fa'amanna bih. Wa lan nushirika bi rabbina ahada. And so on and so forth. Okay. Is that true that for the son of or for the son of or Abu Jalib, Yes. Two. yes, yes, true, yeah. yeah, to support Islam with any of the two, yes. Sorry, it might be true, but with the jinn, prior to accepting Islam, what faith did they have? They had, the... jinn normally since the time of Musa, They some of them voluntarily accepted the message of Musa, some of them accepted the message of Musa voluntarily, but Musa was not sent to men and jinn. But they heard the Torah and some of them voluntarily accepted that. So the jinn, there are believers amongst them, there are non-believers amongst them, just like human beings. The difference between human beings and jinn is an issue of speed, is an issue of form, is an issue of movement, all of these things. But besides that, is an issue of what what do we eat and what do they eat. But they eat, they sleep, they relax, they they they, they, they get married, they have children. Possibly their ages are different from our ages, but they die. Mm They can live for a long time. They can live for a long time. So their ages are different from our ages, but they die at the end. So were they not present at the time of Sulaiman? They were. they were not religious at that time because he was forced to. His kingdom would No, Sayyidina Sulaiman subjugated the jinn to be in his service, but they didn't have to believe in him to serve him. So the, then, is for, the jinn, for all Yes, including the jinn. Yes. Yes. Or possibly the law that was established for them is different from a law that is established for us with a message. Can you talk very quickly about the light of the grave of Evas? About and the light of the grave of needless Yes, the Prophet sallallahu Wasallam, After the that that happened after the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Wasallam, when uh, An Najashi accepted Islam and he died, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Wasallam, said, "There is a light in his grave. Allah subhanahu wa taala has made his his grave enlightened because of his acceptance of the message and his service to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Wasallam, from a distance, and al Najashi is counted as one of the Tabi'in." He's counted as a tabi'i because he didn't see the Prophet sallam, but he saw the Sahaba. Hmm. With the death of a Sayyida Khadija ta'ala, anha, and the death of Abu Talib, the Prophet Sallallahu losing two essential supporters, what did the Prophet sallam, do? Quraysh increased their torture and attack on the Prophet so the Prophet sallallahu decided to go to the closest city that is next to Mecca, that is the city of Ta'if. So he walked to Ta'if with Zayd ibn Haritha. And in Ta'if, he met in a row the three leaders of Ta'if. Abdu Yalayl and Mas'ud and Habib. These three are brothers, they were leading Figures in a five. And the three of them refused the message of the Prophet. One ridiculed him and said, Why is it specifically you that Allah has chosen? And the two others tried to negotiate with him. They said, If we follow you, will you give us pieces of land? Will you appoint us to be your uh, viceries and deputies? And the Prophet didn't negotiate. So he left. Al-Taif, but he asked them for a promise not to tell Quraysh that he visited them. And they didn't respect that. In fact, they sent their children and like like uh, street boys to throw stones at the Prophet sallallahu And he, sallallahu alayhi with tired body, he rested next to the orchard of Utbah and Shaybah, the two uh, children of Rabi'ah, who are originally from Mecca. And who, even though they were not believers... And they were enemies of the Prophet, wa sallam, but seeing him in such a state, they sent one of their servants w- with some grapes to the Prophet. Wa sallam. And the Prophet wa sallam, took the grapes and said, Bismillah. Now, with him saying, Bismillah, this servant who happened to be from a, a city called Ninawa in Iraq, and that is the city of Mus- of Yunus, alayhi wa that's the city where Sayyidina Yunus, Prophet Yunus, came from. Uh, this man, hearing the Prophet saying, Bismillah, he said, What's that, that What's that thing that you're reciting? I don't hear the people of this land saying these things. So the Prophet said to him, Where are you from? He said, I am from Nineveh. He said, that's the land of Yunus ibn Matta. Yunus, son of Matthew. And he said, how do you know Yunus ibn Matta? Like, this is a distant person. He's not known to bear in mind that uh, Arabs were not people who had such a, a deep knowledge of previous religions or scriptures. So he said, he's my brother, I'm a prophet, and he's a prophet. And with that shock, this man, Addas, went to the feet of the Prophet, ﷺ, kissing him, and accepted Islam at his hands. The point that we, what we can learn from this is, sometimes we miss little good habits that we have as Muslims in public. And it could be that these things is what attracts people's attention to our deen and could be what starts a conversation with them. You're, you're traveling, for example, and you happen to sit next to someone. Possibly because of how you dress or what you do or what you recite, this person becomes interested. I remember once we we're, were traveling to Amsterdam and one guy sitting next to me, he was noticing I was reading some Mawrad and then uh, I held my tasbih so yes, he, he said, What are you reciting? He looked Indian. <laughs> so I assumed that he is a Muslim. So I said, I'm reciting Awrad. And he was just like nodding his head, <laughs> as if he knows. And it was very strange because for an hour and a half or so, that pretty much the whole journey, I didn't discover that he's not a Muslim. Later I discovered that he's not a Muslim. So I was saying, I'm reciting Awrad and this. I thought that he could be one of those <coughs> Muslims who have lost connection with the Deen and he's just trying to read Kind of d- discover it, but at the end, when I started feeling funny about it, because he didn't understand what I'm talking about, so I said, "What religion do you practice?" He said, "I practice all religions." <laughs> yes, he's, he said, "I practice all religions. I practice hu- humanism." Yeah. yeah, he said, "I'm a humanist." So what do you mean by a humanist? Like, are you Muslim? He said, "No, no, I'm not." I said, "What do you mean? Like, you can't practice all religions and uh, reach the same destination." Huh? It's an usual yes, it is, but you have to take a route to to be delivered to a specific destination. You can't just drive over all routes. You know, jack of all trades is a master of none. Same thing. Like a a, a clergy of all religions is, is 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 not a religious leader in any. <laughs> so he said he gave me an, a, a a very uh, uh, interesting analogy. He said a uh, fish. Breathes oxygen while she is in the water, but she doesn't distinguish between, all the, but between the waters. I said, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so it is something that we, we, we need to think about, inshallah. I'll, we'll stop here, inshallah, for this year.